0: Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty loving friends? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. I'm one of the hosts here, Charlie Chuck Thompson, with me as always, from across the crusty pay lakes, Nathaniel Paul Thurston. How's it going, man? It's going
1: pretty good. Going pretty good. Except for it's about 90 degrees in the room that I'm in right now. I'm in a a new office today. It's just about 90. Yeah. Yeah. It's about 90 so far. That's what I can tell. I don't know how warm it is where you guys are, but it's super hot today. Real hot here in Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, I guess if you just turn your air conditioning on, that would fix the problem, but I haven't tried it yet.
0: We'll see. <laughs> and if we'll you're see. watching the live stream, which you can do by the way of patreon.com slash good Liberty, Nate, it looks like you're wearing a hoodie or something over there too. I, you know,
1: I do have a hoodie on. Um, I, I got up at, I got up at 520 this morning and I came in here and started working on trading stuff, all kinds of stuff like that. And, um, it was a little chillier in here this morning and I was so busy trading all day that I've, I've barely been able to even get up from my seat yet, about for about 12 hours so far. And, uh, you guys don't want to do the video with this hoodie off. So (laughs) I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it like this still.
0: Let the people see your face.
1: Oh, they can see my face. They don't want to see everything else they'd be seeing. Show them
0: your face, Clayton Bigsby. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> Good Lord.
1: <laughs> we got a lot to talk about today, by the way. We yeah. got all kinds of stuff talking about coronavirus, all kinds of stuff going on. Charlie's going to have to pull up a COVID watch for us and just see just see how it's going. I believe the U.S. is still coming in number one. You know, America first. And uh, we'll see how the numbers are looking so far over the weekend I heard it wasn't good I heard overall it wasn't good
0: we knew so we knew we would get up to number one and surpass everybody yeah. um you know we've actually tested more people than anyone else has as well by the way now I know everybody was mad that South Korea was testing more people but now the United States is testing more people we're the number one in just about every category except deaths which is a pretty good category not to be number one in so that's true. Uh, yeah, we got some good stuff to go over. I, you know, we didn't have a show on Friday because I am I'm still not feeling great. I'm not feeling myself. We have had fevers in my house for almost three weeks now. It's pretty insane. We do, uh, we did take a test. So hopefully we'll get that back. It took over two weeks just to get a test, but uh, we did get one. So hopefully that comes back and we'll just know. We'll just know what it is. And that way we can move forward because Nate and I have been, now we've been doing the podcast. This is going on week three, I think, at least. Yeah. Almost week three and a half or something like that since this whole pandemic started. And, you know, we just need to get a little quick COVID watch update. I've seen a a couple different things happening. So just give you the numbers where we stand. This is from World O-Meter. And there's now 1.34 million coronavirus cases with 74,000 total deaths and we have 270,000 277,000 sorry people that are recovered which is pretty nice that's a pretty good recovery number there um so we have about a million active cases and there are about 5% of those that are serious or critical um so you know some of those serious or critical are going to survive and so we should, we're still hovering around that you know one between 1 and 3% death rate now, the good old U.S. of A, the Estadas, Estados Unidos, I'm not very good at Spanish, but um, that's, that's the United States of Spanish, by the way. <laughs> We're sitting yeah. now with 363,000 cases. We added 26,000 cases today alone. Jeez. And we have 10,763 deaths. Now, I'm no mathematician, Nate, but if you get out your calculator... And you do the 300, and I'm sorry, you do the deaths. That's the first thing you do. So that's 10,763. And then you divide that by the total number of cases, 363,408. So far, we're running a 2.9% mortality rate. Now, that is up. We were hovering around when we first started this, we were hovering around anywhere between 1.2, 1.8. We saw 2.2. So we're at 2.9, but still. Way less than the early predictions of the 5, 6, 10%, and also way less than what, what Spain and Italy are running at here. Italy, I'm sorry, Spain has overtaken Italy, and Spain is sitting at 136,000 cases with 13,000 deaths. Now, that's a real easy number to do. Uh, 10% of, 100, of 130,000 is 13,000. So they're running right at a 10% mortality rate. And Italy's even higher than that. They have 132,000 cases with 16,000 deaths. So they're running at like a 10, what's that? A 10.2% mortality rate. Something like that. Yeah.
1: Hey, what's the, um, what's the cases per million looking like? Yeah. I've been this. looking at some numbers to see how the heck we get to these projections that they are showing so far. The amount of people they think are going to be sick. And and I want to see what per million we're looking at in these countries.
0: So the total cases per million, the United States sits at 1,098. Spain is sitting at almost 3,000 per million. And Italy is sitting at 20, about 2,200 per million. Now the total tests here, or I'm sorry, let's do the test per million. Um, Because right now the United States has done 1.9 million tests and we have 363,000 people but total cases. So that means 1.5 million people, almost 1.6 million people have tested negative. That's pretty good. But tests per million population, we've done about 5,700. Spain has done 7,500 and Italy's done almost 12,000. So Italy's done almost twice the amount of tests we have based on population.
1: What about the deaths per million?
0: The deaths per million. This is a good number, too. United States sitting at 33 deaths per million. We're sitting at 285 for Spain and 273 for Italy per million.
1: Okay. Okay. So, what I'm trying to figure out right now is how far up that deaths per million is going to go. Now, what was the deaths per million? Just say for Italy again.
0: For uh, deaths per million, 273.
1: 273. Now, that's a lot more than the 35 that the, that the U.S. is dealing with. But um, if you were to look, this is what I'm trying to figure out. If we even got up to the rate that Italy is, <clears throat> which realize that's um, – I'm not the one to call the future, but we're, we're probably not going to get up to the amount of deaths per million that Italy is at which is almost 300 people per million are dying from this. But even if you said that we were going to get to 300 people per million were dying from this, what I want to figure out is, well, we've got 350 million people. So, so that's just like if you're doing it over the entire country and you end up with a 300 per million death count. Now that's 105,000 deaths right there. That's 105,000 deaths. That's not good. That's 105,000 more deaths than I would like to have, for sure. I'm, I'm very vehemently against death. We're going to make that disclaimer once again for the Good Morning Liberty podcast. Very against death. But let's just say we do get up to Italy's deaths per million number eventually. And everything just goes terribly. And we do that deaths per million. Now, that's per million population, correct? I do that, believe. That's right. Yeah. So if we did get up to that If we did get up to that level, then we'd be sitting around 105,000 deaths in the U.S., and that's—it's kind of like total—and that's that's our deaths per million going all the way up to as high as what Italy's is right now, going all the way up to what their death rate is really, which they're still around the 10% of people who get this are dying in Italy, and we're still around 2.9%. Charlie said. So I'm going to keep this 105,000 number right now. I'm going to keep this 105,000. We're going to, we're going to keep that as we talk, as we talk today and let's make it worse, let's make it 150,000. We're going to make it 150,000. That's what we'll make today.
0: Actually, let's do the worst, the worst estimates, I believe from Dr. Fauci were two, I think 200 or 250,000, somewhere around there.
1: And now realize that is. Uh, once it moves through the entire country, that is twice as many deaths per million as what Italy is going through right now. And so I, I want to, I just, I'm very skeptical about the number actually getting up to that high. But, but let's just, let's say that that's going to happen. Fine. 200,000? We'll keep it there? 200,000? 200, 200,000. Okay so we're going to keep it at 200,000 as we go through some of these articles today because what we have to talk about is the fact that there is a correlation and slightly causation as the unemployment number goes up as the economy gets worse and worse there are more deaths in your population through all kinds of different means suicide is a really big one heart disease cirrhosis of the of the liver You get all kinds of things. You get your drug addiction. Your economy gets bad enough, you have worse health care. Lower standards for that. People who could have been saved that aren't going to be saved. You have all kinds of things that are going to pop up throughout your economy. As your economy gets worse and worse and worse, people will die. Now, just to preface with this, Bernie Sanders has even been saying this for a while. He even says that 50,000 people per year die because they can't get adequate health care. And that's in the economy that we have right now where we're running a trillion dollar deficit and they can't afford to pay for these things or they can't get adequate treatment bernie sanders also says that 100,000 people die every single year because of pollution just pollution i don't know how good the green new deal is looking right now when we're dealing with this right now but if you're uh, if you're someone who's severely worried about the climate and you still think that that's going to kill us in 12 years and you want us to have a strong enough economy to be able to take care of those problems because you want it like, this is too early. You wanted to completely destroy the economy with the Green New Deal, but now it's kind of gotten pre-destroyed. And so you're gonna be on a really bad footing to enact really terrible legislation now after this. So you have to be mindful of that. So we're gonna be mindful of the fact that people do admit that people die because of a bad economy. That's That's clear and obvious, very clear and obvious. People, the left, the liberal left, talks about this when we're talking about income inequality and when we're talking about poverty and when we're talking about all these things in the economy. They will talk about how being poor causes a higher death rate for all kinds of different things. Now, what I want to figure out is if it's a good idea to make the entire country poor. That's what I want to figure out using that same logic. We're, we're going to talk through that today. So do you want to run through some news here, Charlie? Yeah, let's do it. You want me to do this article? from In fact, Faith?
0: you know, you titled this episode, which I think is a really good one here. It says, how many people have to die before we reopen the economy? So where do you draw the line? We have been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Eventually, you get to the point where you kind of have to choose the lesser of two evils here, because as we have pointed out to you guys, if you look throughout history, the number one killer of human beings, it's always been this way, has been bad economics, has been terrible, awful policies, whether it's. Through feudalism or socialism or communism or even crony capitalism, even the terrible regulations that they put on the free market, it has killed the most amount of people in human history. So there has to be a there has to be a curve to economic deaths, too, doesn't there? So how long do we let this go on? This is coming from fee, which is the uh, the
1: foundation for education. I
0: always want to say the Federation for some reason. It's the foundation for economic education. Great place to get some information, by the way. So you should check out fee.org. Lots of good articles. This is an an alternative to the lockdown strategy in the fight against coronavirus. So it says here, the current coronavirus strategy of most governments is a recipe for worldwide economic disaster. In many countries, the strategy of confinement and forcing shops to close is a surefire path to large-scale business failures. The cascade of economic and financial repercussions to come is likely to lead to another Great Depression. The cost of prolongation. Italy, for example, already had a 135% debt-to-GDP ratio before the crisis. It is hard to imagine how it will be able to borrow more without a commitment from other European countries to jointly be responsible for more Italian debt, something that something the northern European countries are still strongly opposed to. The ECB is already printing money like crazy, and another Greece-like situation will make it ramp up the printing presses even more. We have been down this path many times before, where the cure is clearly much worse than the disease. The German hyperinflation which is, by the way, when it was the Weimar Republic, remember this, between 1921 and 1923, created a resentful, impoverished middle class, which ultimately led to Hitler's rise in power. The coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, that originated in China is highly contagious. More than 80% of the patients show only mild flu-like symptoms, but for the remaining 20%, mostly the elderly or people with pre-existing conditions, the virus can be life-threatening. To save lives short-term, the entire population in Europe is currently being held under house arrest, and many businesses have been put into a pre-liquidation state by no longer being able to realize a profit due to inactivity. So let's look at the unemployment correlates with death. In the longer term, more lives will be lost if we continue this strategy. How many victims of financial ruin will end their own lives? In the modern era, for every 1% increase in the unemployment rate, there has, been, there has typically been an increase of about 1% in the number of suicides. A study conducted by Brenner in 1971, I believe is what that's supposed to say, found that for every 10% increase in the unemployment rate mortality increased by 1.2% cardiovascular disease by 1.7% cirrhosis of the liver by 1.3% and all you drunks out there suicides by 1.7% arrests by 4% and reported assaults by 0.8% how many lost lives of, out of the 300 million in the US does a 10% 15% or 20% unemployment rate represent or even so, talk, let's talk about 30% unemployment it could even go that high
1: yeah, we gotta we gotta look at that now. the The unemployment rate pre Corona, uh, pre that was around three and a half percent. Just say something like that. It kind of hovers around three and a half percent for unemployment rate. Now this is saying that a ten percent increase in the unemployment rate, a ten percent increase. Now that does not mean that it goes from three point five percent to thirteen point five percent. That means a ten percent increase in the rate itself. So a 10% increase would be from 3.5 to 3.85. That would be a 10% increase in the rate itself. So this is not saying if we get to a 13. And actually, if you look at the chart that's attached to this, uh, which I I don't have in the notes, sorry, Charlie, it says every 10% Increase in the number of people unemployed, which they are saying an additional 900,000 people. So that's 900,000 more people unemployed is what this is counting. On average causes for every 900 new thousand people unemployed. 24,000 deaths for the total just mortality overall. Now cardiovascular is another 17,000 related specifically. Cirrhosis of the liver, liver is 400. And 200 more for suicide. Now those all added up together for that 900,000 additional people unemployed. What does that come out to? That comes out to about 31 or 41,600 is what that comes out to. 41,600 more people die as a result of 900,000 more people being added onto the employ uh, the unemployment rate. So this is something that's very important because you have to realize that in the last month we have had 10 million people added on to unemployment. 10 million is the new unemployment claims. Now they might not be chronically unemployed. They might know that this is only gonna be for a couple weeks. So it's a lot different if you're chronically unemployed and, and you can just never get a job versus you just lost your job because of this and it's gonna last a month and then you're gonna go back to work. So we're not saying that 10 million people are going to lose their jobs and it's going to stay that way. But you do have to ask yourself what happens if the entire economy does collapse, if tons of businesses do shut down, because 99 percent of businesses are small businesses, if a lot of businesses do shut down and there's just a complete lack of capital overall for people to start new businesses, to hire new people, or just using debt, or just using fake money all the time, what happens? What happens at that point? So that's 10 million just in the last month. Let's cut that Let's cut that in half. Let's just cut it in half and say that a year from now 5 million of those people are still unemployed as a result to our economic shutdown right now. That's probably being generous because I only see this getting worse. That's probably being very generous. So you could just say 5 million. Now you're looking at 41,000 people per roughly 1 million people that become unemployed and we just have 5 million that right there equals two hundred and five thousand additional people who could die from all of these other ways that people die suicide alcoholism drug addiction death comes in
0: many forms
1: it's a lot of different forms and it's caused by stress stress is like a major issue as far as death goes if you want to live a shorter life be really stressed out all of the time I might not even be here next week. So we will we'll see how that goes. But just by using those rough numbers, and I realized they're not gonna be exact. That's why we took it and I said, 10 million people are unemployed, let's just say 5 million. And it says 41,000, whatever, let's just say 40,000. Even if you just use that, then you come up with, if these people remain unemployed for a, a long frame of time, you could realistically have 200,000 people die from the current economic situation that we're in right now that would not have otherwise died and now remember what was the what was the uh, the rate that we set what was the amount of people we were talking about worst case scenario this could go
0: up to 200 250,000
1: 200 250,000 so what we have to realize is that there is a there is a break even point here where the worse you make the economy now realize the two hundred fifty thousand is with us getting all the way up to about seven or eight hundred deaths per million almost three times worse than deaths per million in italy and you would get to that number and that's how you get to that many people dying from this inside of a year so i already think that that number is probably probably overblown but i you know i'm not I'm not going to make a for sure prediction here. It it, it could definitely happen. But you have to realize that there is a break even point here where if we're going to keep just say unemployment where it is right now, say the economy stays exactly like it is right now for a long period of time. Well, that's 10 million. We already said just do the math off of 5 million. Good Lord. What if you do it off of 10 million? What do you what do you get to then? 400,000. 400,000. So now you're 150,000 more people dead from the economic condition, people who would have not have otherwise died from those things, than what you're trying to stop from the worst case scenario of the virus doing. And when we make this argument, it's because we don't care about lives, just so you know. That's that's why we're making the argument, because we don't care about people's lives. That's, that's what it is. If you make the argument that you might be killing an extra 150,000 people, then you are just a terrible, evil, heartless SOB. That's really all you are. And if you make the argument that we should, we should kill an extra 150,000 people to try and save, we should kill 400,000 people in the economy to try and save 200,000. Well, then you just, you're just compassionate and you care about people. And you put lives over money. That's what you do. You put lives over money, man. People over profit. You put people over profits. Hashtag people over profits. Okay. So that's the – this is the frustrating part about this. And I was talking to Lacey about this this weekend. It's getting past the point where I'm worried and I'm annoyed like my normal libertarian self where I'm getting – I'm starting to get downright angry about this. And I'm starting to get downright angry with the people who will not stop and think about this for one second. I, I'm actually starting to get angry about that. And I'm trying not to. I'm trying to do my breaths, trying to count to 10, trying to do all that. But when do I imagine that we Do could,
0: you do from Bad Boys? I
1: did Woosah. Woosah. Yeah, saw Yeah, I've been doing that for a little bit. And it doesn't seem to work. It feels good, but it doesn't seem to work all that well. Um, when I think about the fact that the same mentality that has led to all of the other problems that Charlie and I talk about all the time, the exact same mentality, the emotions over logic mentality, could very abruptly be killing an extra 100,000, an extra 150,000, an extra 50,000, and an extra 10,000 people than what would be projected to die from this. You know, why couldn't you post, do you think the same people could get up in the press conferences and say, yeah, we're projecting 200,000 deaths from this. Also, our top economists are projecting 400,000 deaths from the bad economy. Which one do you think people are going to pick? They're still going to pick shutting down the economy to stop the virus, because people only care about what they can see. They only care about doing what they can see right there in front of them in this mentality, this personality. If you take your personality tests. this personality is what has led to almost all of the problems that Charlie and I talk about every single day. It is the exact same personality. There is nothing new happening here whatsoever. People are dying, and to stop that obvious seen problem that you can look at with your eyes, you are ignoring the unseen, which through years and years and years of data, has shown that hundreds of thousands of people can die if we continue to do what we're doing to our economy right now and it could get a lot worse than that if we actually go into a full-blown depression so which i've been in for a couple of years now but i'm waiting on the rest of the country to catch up <laughs> so well again, there's my like i mentioned rant.
0: last time you know we haven't even reached the h1n1 numbers now h1n1 seemed to affect uh, younger people than it did older people there were some different maybe immunity tests and things like that but we haven't even reached the h1n1 numbers at all not even the amount of people infected or the amount of people that died you know worldwide there were over a billion h1n1 uh, infections and a, somewhere between 200,000 and 500,000 people died worldwide you know we haven't even, we're not even close to reaching those numbers and you didn't see the same type of response now some people will say well we just didn't know better back then now we know better here we are 11 years later and we know better it's either that we just didn't have a republican
1: president back then
0: yeah yeah that's what it was you know we wouldn't obama responded properly by not doing anything yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know if trump you know by the way you know I, i think i agree with trump on this point you know everybody's like dogging him because he's not doing a good job or something like that. And, and then, you know, everyone was mad at him when he cut off travel from China and called him xenophobic and all this stuff, which I went back and verified. I was like, yep, they actually did. There was actually yeah. like a story in the New York times, you know, back in February or whenever it was when Trump shut off travel from China and they were mad at him for being xenophobic. And now he's like, look, I did the right thing. I did the, even people said I'd shut it off earlier than anybody else would have. You know and it's like
1: a lot of people wouldn't have done that you know you know
0: especially obama he never did it and so, so i i just don't know how you you know at what point and this is this is exactly the discussion because i don't like i don't even know if we have the right answer like we're not going to be we're not sitting here and tell you to tell you like by april 23rd if we do not reopen the economy. More people are going to die from economics than they will the, the this virus. Like, I don't know the actual date, but what I do know is that eventually you're going to hit that point, And that's something that no one's talking about. I don't hear hardly anyone talking about it. We've been talking about it for weeks and hardly anyone is discussing how important it is to make sure you balance the threat of a virus versus the threat of a complete total economic collapse. And at some point you have to draw the line. It's not, it's not that we're not taking this virus seriously. Uh, I I think you should. And I think if you uh, know you are infected, you should stay home. Uh, If you don't, then I think you should be able to open your business. You know, like you, you should allow the the economy to run. And if you don't do that, as we are, as you're about to find out throughout this episode, then you end up creating more of a catastrophe than you otherwise would.
1: One of the things I found a little bit annoying about this is, you know, we, I had this big post on Saturday and someone responded saying, you know, you're not doing any good with this and telling people not to take it. I'm like, I'm not telling anyone to take this, not to take it seriously. For example, I've left my house about three times in the last three weeks and that's it. And I was using hand sanitizer, washing my hands, not going around people the whole time when I did go out in public. Okay, so we're not saying to not take it seriously. And if you can stay home, if you can work from home, then obviously it's a good idea to work from home. I think more people should work. Hey, guess what? We'd have less of all of the viruses if more people work from home. That's just a given fact. That would be the case for basically all diseases. Uh, that aren't just autoimmune or from smoking or something like that. Like that would basically be the case for all viruses and all bacteria. If everyone just would stay at home, you would have less of those and you would have less deaths from those. So no one is disputing that fact whatsoever. I'm not saying not to take it seriously. But what I do get annoyed about is all the people who can't go to work. Now, remember, Charlie, they can't go to work. It's too dangerous. And it's terrible that people are trying to make them go to work. But when I went to Home Depot this weekend, I could barely walk around in that place. It was so packed full of people that were buying freaking flowers and, and bug killer and stuff for working on their house. The place was packed full of people. And guess what? Most of them were wearing masks. Sure. And what they all decided was, was that they could go out in public around a bunch of other people. And as long as they were wearing a mask and as long as they were washing their hands, they would be just fine. That's what all those people decided. Why is it that they don't want to go to work? Why is it that that is too dangerous? Why is it that we should shut down the job that they hate and just send them a check instead? Why do you think that is? This gets pretty frustrating. No one can go to work, but good Lord, they they can all go shopping for sure. We can all go shopping. Just wear a mask. Just be safe. Just wear a mask. (laughs) Wear
0: gloves. Wear Wear trash bags. Wear a
1: mask. Guess what? The same freaking thing would for work for going to work also. The same thing. If you're OK with shopping around a bunch of people because you have a mask on, then you can go sit at your desk in your office or whatever it is that you do. That the the problem is, I think this is further even more by I'm, and sounds very callous and pessimistic and nihilistic to say it, whatever you want, to, a lot of istics that aren't good to say this, (laughs) but I'm worried that this is being furthered and solidified and made stronger by a bunch of people who freaking hate their daily lives, they hate their jobs, they hate that they're doing the same thing every single day that they hate, and now they have an excuse to not have to do it. And everyone loves it. Everyone loves something something big and special going on. They love this big special event and all, all this crazy big event that's going on right now. They just love it. And they want it as an excuse. A lot of people do. I'm not saying everyone does. But the people who say it's wrong for businesses to make people work but are completely fine with going out and going out and picking up food or going out and shopping at Home Depot and Lowe's and all these other very essential businesses, those are people who just simply don't want to go to their job. That's, that's all it is. And the rest of us and the rest of the economy is going to suffer because of those people. And as you can tell, I'm extremely unhappy with this today. Very unhappy. Yeah. Hey, let's say something nice.
0: You hit a new high over the weekend.
1: I did. I hit, I hit a new low on my happy meter. <laughs> hit a new low on my happy meter. That's not true.
0: That's why that's, you're pursuing meaning instead of yeah. happiness.
1: Yeah, that's what still gets me out of bed every single day. Yeah. So that I know that I can come in and do meaningful things like talk bad about all the other people. So let's talk about a country who's doing something different. This, this could be good. This could be positive, right?
0: A country it's, that Bernie wants to emulate?
1: Yeah, the, the, the socialist paradise. The socialist paradise of Sweden. The country that we should model all of the things that they do anytime, except for when we don't like them. So this is once again from Fee. Could Sweden's laissez-faire approach to the coronavirus actually work? Sweden, unlike its European neighbors and most US states, has declined to take a headline a hardline approach to the novel coronavirus pandemic. Instead of instituting mass shutdowns and ramping up policing, Sweden has responded with a lighter touch. People in this nation of 10 million people still visit libraries and pools which remain open. People can be found sipping IPAs in restaurants Through public gatherings are now limited to though public gatherings are now limited to 50 people. Children still get up and go to elementary schools in the morning, although students over 16 have been encouraged to stay at home. The government has also asked people to wash their hands frequently, encourage remote work, and ask people to self-isolate if they feel ill or are over the age of 70. Essentially, instead of closing its economy, national leaders have asked its citizens to limit the spread of COVID-19 another way, by acting responsibly. There are a few critical items in life when you must take sacrifice make sacrifices not just for your own sake but also for those around you for your fellow human beings and for our country. That time is now. Prime Minister Stefan Löfven urged his people. Which brings us back to so they were talking about Twitter earlier in this. In recent days influencers have become to a uh, begun to assert that Sweden is rec- is receiving its comeuppance. Uh, they're getting what they deserve. They're reaping what they so, Sweden took a laissez-faire approach, this is a tweet here, uh, to COVID-19 while their neighbors shut down public life and sealed the borders. One Manhattan Institute scholar observed on Twitter, it looks like we're finally seeing the results. So look at what the results are. Data guru Nate Silver, founder and editor-in-chief of the influential statistics site 538, also claimed that Sweden was paying the price for its laissez-faire approach to the coronavirus. But, do the data actually support the conclusion that Sweden's leaders are getting people killed by not enforcing mass lockdowns? Now, any serious discussion on COVID-19 should be prefaced by noting the, da- the data here are incomplete, by the way. They're fluid. It's changing every day. We've seen that with our numbers. Uh, let's see. That said, bakers use the ingredients they have. And right now, the data shows Sweden has one of the better infection. Infa- 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 Infection? <laughs> is that a new thing? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, it's Swedish. I got it. Swedish. I don't know Swedish very well. Infection fatality rates in Europe. First, it makes little sense to compare aggregate deaths in Sweden. Now, this is one of the things they did. They said Sweden. This is one of the things they did. They said Sweden has got twice as many deaths as Norway. Do you know what else Sweden has as many as Norway? People. People, (laughs) (laughs) twice as many people. So it says the rate is indeed higher than Denmark and Norway, which have rates of 24 per million and 11 per million, respectively. Some of the best in Europe. However, data also show that Sweden's fatality rate is actually much better than many of its European neighbors, including France, Switzerland, Spain, Italy, Belgium and the Netherlands, the UK and Luxembourg. So the guy puts out, lays out this tweet and it's got this big, this big skyrocketing number something that they call the, the, the y-axis effect, which is whenever you, you decide to put a very low number on the y-axis and it makes it look like it's gone crazy. And what you actually end up seeing is Sweden's number, their infect, infected number is actually keeping them locked with their population uh, in, in lockstep with the countries around them. Only guess what? They're not destroying their economy at the same time, but they're still maintaining roughly the same infection rate relative to the population that the other countries are incurring. So this is something that's pretty important to think about. They've basically asked people to be responsible, to wash their hands, wear a mask, limit your gatherings. Uh, you know, if you're over 70, don't go out, just stay inside and uh, good, good luck. And that's not, they're not really saying good luck, but just be responsible. Don't cough on people wash your hands when you go in public and let's not go into a depression actually let's just let's just kind of let the people be responsible and see how this goes and i'm you know i'm a fan of this i'm i'm slightly a fan of this by the way so we have this other thing from aoc that i wanted to talk about on friday but charlie sick from the coronavirus was not able to do an episode Uh, but Charlie, do you want to tell me this real short thing here about AOC? Yeah.
0: This coming from the Washington times AOC. I was just looking at the numbers by the way, on worldometers.info. If you want to go check out all the aggregated data and Sweden here ranks, uh, I don't know. I'm down here. It's like number 30th or something like that. No, they're probably number 20 on here. They've got 7,206 total cases with 477 deaths. Now they have 47 deaths per million population and 714 cases per million population. But as you mentioned, the, there are countries that are border than that are doing way worse. The Netherlands have over a thousand cases per million. And they've got 109 deaths per million, Switzerland, 2,500 case of uh, 2,500 cases per million with 88 deaths per million. That's basically double what Sweden's doing. Um, France, 1500 cases per million, 137 deaths per million, Italy, Spain, they're all terrible. You know, Sweden is not any worse off right now than anyone else. You would think you would see like a thousand deaths per million people if it were that, if that were the case, but they're running, you know, they're running very similar numbers, if not lower than other people are. So let's get to what AOC had. I think. To say. I think.
1: So the proper way to say that, uh, if you're going to be a Jordan Peterson kind of response, is it's it's not obvious that what we are doing or what the countries around them are doing is going to have a better effect than what Sweden is doing. You can say that those are both. Uh, There are two different ways of doing it, and one of them is slightly more scary because you're asking people to be more responsible for their own lives instead of trying to take other people's lives in your own hands against their will. But it's not obvious. We don't have the data right now to show that what we are doing or what Denmark is doing or anyone like that is a better approach. We don't have the proof that shows that, by the way. Not at all.
0: Not at all. AOC wants coronavirus reparations for minorities. Inequality is a com- is a comorbidity. Uh, comor- Co-
1: comorbidity.
0: Comorbidity. Exactly. You know the thing. This coming from the Washington Times. Rep AOC Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez declared Friday that inequality is a pre-existing health condition. <laughs> and that minority and low-income communities should receive coronavirus relief in the form of reparations i just i don't even know if i could read the rest of this (laughs) quote covid deaths are disproportionately spiking in black plus brown communities the new york democratic socialist tweeted to her 6.6 million followers why because the chronic toll of red, of redlining, environmental racism, <laughs> wealth gap, etc., are are underlying health conditions. Inequality is a comorbidity. She wrote.
1: Maurice wants his check.
0: <laughs> COVID relief. <laughs> COVID relief should be drafted with a lens of reparations. Because you know what. It's just this virus is racist. It's clearly (laughs) a clearly racist virus.
1: There's so many Charlie. I didn't realize I mean, I, here I am. I've been sitting in my house, not doing anything. And I didn't realize that this virus knows I'm white and I could have gone anywhere I wanted to go and everything (laughs) would have been fine. Like this whole time I've been sitting here white in my house and I could have been outside white in public, and everything would have been fine. <laughs> so I, it's so weird that everything is unequal. I, dude, I mean, and this is what Marisa saying. He, you know, she's as funny as Joe Biden. And I've hit the point with AOC where everything she says is laughable. I mean, can we get this clip? She is uh, she's batshit crazy. She's crazy. Yeah. okay? I'm sorry. It's it's not for any reason other than the fact that I'm not I haven't done tests on her, but if I were to gauge whether or not this person was crazy based on the things that they said and whether or not they ever made sense ever, she's at like she's at a a lower rate than the death rate for COVID right now as far as making sense on her posts. So this is it's becoming um, upsetting, to say the least. It was funny and I know I'm laughing but this is also upsetting. This person is a representative from the biggest city in the U- in the US and yes by the way she has said that she is interested in running for president. Oh of course. Yeah. So now we got to talk about inequality and sickness and what you this is so we got to do remember we got to go through our our list of the most uh disenfranchised people and you got to keep breaking down that list, right? Like that's what you have to do.
0: Well, the first so, thing I want to know though. This wouldn't have anything to do with, you know, black and brown people in urban areas whatsoever. Are are people in urban areas are black and brown people getting infected at a higher rate than, you know, the poor white people in the same communities? Is it is there any correlation or difference there?
1: I have not seen numbers on whether or not uh, on whether or not black and brown people are more susceptible susceptible to the virus. I think the issue might be, like you said, a more highly populated area and in, in the urban center of a, of a city would have a higher spread rate of a virus than, say, uh, where all the white people live in Montana. Like that, that's just not going to happen near as much. You've got a lot of distance from cabin to cabin out there, and you just can't cough that far. It doesn't matter how (laughs) perfect your lungs are, you can't cough that far. So it's a lot different when you have a a high population density area. So this is like, this is an issue because you'd
0: have to make sure the jet stream was going over Montana at that time and get the right just the right trajectory right into the stream so it would go over to your neighbor
1: exactly yeah. and i'm sure it's been done we'll, we'll see <laughs> we'll see we need to do that test we'll have to go out to montana and check that out but yeah, and Marie says another
0: uh, here's another good point maybe because they have larger families well then think about that too you've got if you have 20 people in one house versus like four people in another house you know that's gonna, that's going to be much easier to get infected.
1: Twenty is quite a bit. That's a lot of people. It is.
0: Well, let's say okay. Let's let's say. Well, (laughs) you know, especially like, um, you know, when I worked with with Mexicans, they would have uh, uh, their whole family in the house. Yeah. Now this is, of course, you know, this isn't this isn't this is empirical evidence by people that I knew, but they would have you know, the, the mother and the father and the brother and the sister and their kids. And everybody was in one house. I mean, hell, even when I grew up, we grew up in a trailer that had two bedrooms. My mom and my two brothers were all in one bedroom. And then my grandmother got her own room somehow. I don't know how she pulled that off, but, but even in that house, and then we would have people come stay with us. We would have like 15 people stay with us for a week in one trailer. I mean, people were sleeping all over the floor and couches and stuff. Cause we were that. We were poor.
1: I'm so, surprised the cinder blocks didn't bust out on that thing.
0: I know. Ima- and then imagine, you know, it's just like, if you got the chicken pox, it's the same type of thing. Like my, me and my brothers all got it about the same exact time because we all lived together. And so I can't remember who got it first, probably Trey, cause he's a socialist. So, <laughs>
1: and then he freely gave it to everyone else and
0: he freely, yeah, he passed yeah, it along against your will. Yeah. Completely against my will. And so, you know, it just it's so illogical what she's saying. I mean, it doesn't like I can't even. I just can't even.
1: This is at all. The the other part of this is now I have not seen the numbers on whether or not black and brown people like I said have a higher uh, infection rate because <clears throat> they are more susceptible to the virus. Now I have not seen that whatsoever. But this is the this is the upsetting part, is that people in high population centers, people who uh, say more people who are in poverty, people who are sharing places like Charlie's family was, um, those people are going to spread it around more. Look at what's going on in Italy. A lot of the families live together under the same roof. And that's that's being blamed for why they've had such a high spread rate and such uh, terrible numbers in Italy. Now, the issue I have is. If it is just because you're in an urban center and you're in in a low-income community, why, if I live in low-income, and by the way, I live in the poorest part of Nashville. Um, the town I live in is probably about 7% white, by the way. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm a minority here, uh, where, where I live, but uh, plus I'm part Japanese, so minority anyway. Should've got that pre-college, dang it. Um, you have an issue here where What if I get the virus and it's because I live in an urban center and then someone who's black or brown gets the virus and it's because they live in an urban center around a bunch of people? Why is it that they should get reparations because of this virus and I should just deal with it? Why is Where's the where's the equality in this? In what way is this equality, especially when it comes to people getting sick from a virus?
0: Well, if you're rich, it's just a lot better when you're dying to be rich. If you're rich and dying, it's just much better, Nate.
1: It is. But what I'm saying is, like you said to start off, there are probably a bunch of poor white people who live in the areas too. And is their susceptibility to getting the virus because they're low income and they're in a high population center? Does that mean less? Because they're whites. Is that what you're saying?
0: I did a quick study on this Real, I just, this is the first number numbers I pulled up. This is coming from the, the Atlantic, by the way, um, this is based off
1: Maurice, by the way, sorry.
0: This is based off of New York city numbers. So New York city is 32.1% white. It's 29.1% Latino, 24.3% black and 13.9% Asian, according to census data. But averaging out the racial composition of the five New York City zip codes with the highest coronavirus rates shows a significant overrepresentation of Latinos at 45.8%. So almost half of the coronavirus cases in New York City based out of these five, the highest uh, populated zip codes. Even though Latinos only account for 29% of the um, population, almost half of them are infected with the virus. Asians account for Almost 14% of the population in New York City, which is, pretty, which is the lowest, yet they account for 20, almost 24% of the infections. Um, white people account for 32% of the population in New York, and only 21% of them have contracted the virus. And then you have twenty, almost 25% black in New York City, and they are the lowest at 8% infected with hmm. the virus when compared with their citywide populations. So it says, does this mean Latinos and Asians are being infected with and dying from COVID-19 at higher rates than other New Yorkers? We don't know for certain, but it sure seems that way. Like, we don't actually know the data, AOC. But if you start to look at the data, it looks like it's Latinos and Asians and black people have the best chance.
1: And more than likely, uh, my assumption would be, like Charlie said, we don't have the data, but... Until we do all the genetics and we find years down the road and we find out what genetic markers are more susceptible to coronavirus someday way down the road, we might see that Latinos are way more susceptible uh, than, than just your, your plain run-of-the-mill white person is. Okay? Uh, we don't know that yet. What probably is happening is something like Charlie said. If you have, a, if you have some type of community some kind of culture that say shares more people under the same roof, then would you have a higher likelihood of more people being infected? And is that purely, is that purely because of the fact that they're Latino low income or is it because maybe that's a cultural thing as well? Could just be a cultural thing that families like to live together. Seems to be the issue in Italy, there's no way they have income inequality there because they're a socialist country. So that can't be the issue there, it's actually just a cultural thing. That's happening but then if it happens here then it's actually because of income inequality but when it happens in italy it's because of culture so it's really interesting and what maurice just said is the actual answer maurice just said never let a good crisis go to race race that's what he said no he said waste i said race that's what i said rahm Emanuel said that i can't remember what year it was he said never let a good crisis go to waste um i can't remember what year it was or what it was pertaining to but um Basically, here's how he you said know. that
0: about three weeks ago.
1: Yeah, probably three. He <laughs> says it every year about something. Yeah. He just tweets the same thing. He retweets himself. Never let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> no, this is how you know. They're calling for things that they were already calling for to be laws. They're calling for the same policies, talking about redlining districts, environmental racism, the wealth gap. Our underlying health conditions. Now, this is your old, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Hey, I'm gonna take the exact same things that I've been trying to push so we can get policies pushed because of these things. And now I'm going to use the crisis of the month or the crisis of the year. And I'm gonna try to get the same things pushed. I already said, and I know he's changed it now, but uh, for Bernie Sanders' response to this, he didn't even have to change a thing on his website other than the word coronavirus somewhere, all the policies really are still just the same. That's about it.
0: I was wondering wondering if if the human being's greatest danger was still climate change. I don't know. Or is it this virus now?
1: I've been wanting to write an article for the last week or so, um, but I I just don't have time to do that anymore. But uh, I've been wanting to write an article that if you're someone who's worried about the climate and the climate crisis, You need to be mindful of the fact that we are going to be destroying our economy to the point that we cannot do anything about climate change whatsoever if we're going to do that. We are not setting ourselves up to be able to destroy the economy with the Green New Deal soon. That is not what we're doing. We're we're pre-destroying the economy, and it's going to be too late to destroy the economy for the Green New Deal later because it's already destroyed. So you're not going to be able to have a bunch of businesses Just take it right there on the chin for all your new environmental regulations. You're not going to be able to force in all your higher wages that they can't afford because a bunch of them are already bankrupt and you got tons of unemployed people. You're not going to be able to force all these companies to get rid of all the stuff they have and buy all kinds of new stuff that's environmentally friendly because they're teetering on the edge of bankruptcy already. You're not going to be able to do that. So if the climate crisis, by the way, If you do think that the climate crisis is going to kill millions of people, then you might want to do the math on this, by the way, circling back around to the beginning of the podcast. Mr. Liberal, if you think the climate crisis is going to kill millions of people, then does a terrible, depressed economy set you up to do anything about the climate crisis? Or could it potentially make it worse? Could it push us further away from being able to afford expensive energy, that's twice the cost of the energy we're using right now. Is it pushing us away from that? you got to ask the question. And if that is the case, Mr. Mr. Liberal, who cares a lot about the climate crisis, have you thought to do the math on that? If you truly believed that millions and millions of people, hundreds of millions of people were going to die 20 years from now if we don't do something about the climate crisis, if we don't change our economy, to fit this in our, in our amazing wealthy society that is uh, quickly disappearing. If we don't do this, then tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people are going to die. Now, is it possible to do the math on that if you are a socialist who wants to do that? So now are you saying that saving 250,000 people is worth costing the lives of 10 million people 20 years from now? Can anyone ever actually do that math? Now, I'm not saying to do all these things so we can fix the climate crisis because I don't think we're in a climate crisis or that there's anything that we could do about it, especially with the government. But I do think this pulls away a lot of people who could do something about climate change if they're going to invent new things, new sustainable energy, if they're going to take lower profits for a while because they're transitioning to more efficient energy and switching over to that. I think this definitely delays when we can actually get into doing that and i just feel like that's uh, this once again either it proves that people can't logically and rationally do the math or it proves that they don't actually think that the climate crisis is a real thing it's one of those two things it's not both
0: and the biggest thing here as i've said for the last three weeks is just pay attention pay attention to what's happening as we go through this because at the end of the day no one no one actually really knows you're going to have all these predictions and all these different things, but pay attention to what your government tries to do, what other people are trying to do, what, what, I mean, I've got so many conspiracy theories on both directions. You want to hear them, Nate? Sure. My right wing conspiracy theory is that <laughs> the progressives did this to Trump because they knew Trump's chance at re-election was a strong economy. So if they can tank the economy with a virus, and implementing all these plans and make him look like a fool if he didn't implement, if he didn't shut down the economy, you know, then, then he would also lose the election. Either it's a way. lose lose. Yes. Now, now my 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 uh, my progressive conspiracy is is that Trump did this on purpose. He shut down <laughs> the economy so he could bring it back down, only to ramp it up over the summer and reach new highs on the Dow. We're going to break thirty uh about october <laughs> as he ramps everything back up and that way he's definitely going to get reelected. and then the overall deep state conspiracy i have is they did this on purpose so they could take away everybody's freedoms and create you know the the one world government where everybody's like china <laughs> and you have to you know your your every move is watched you have to you know fill out surveys on the apps and george orwell 1984 comes to life and everyone's tracked and you can't make any decisions without government approval. And you know, that's the world where that's the world we're leading. There's three different yeah. conspiracies for you. I don't think and that Epstein it was, didn't kill himself at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. I don't think that's a conspiracy <laughs> whatsoever. Um, no, it's, I don't think it was intentionally done by any of those people. I can see the possibility it was intentionally done by China, but I have, I will never know. Um, I can see though that a lot of people, uh, we're very excited to jump on this as an opportunity. That's that's all I would really say. The news, the left, I think that in the in their deepest heart of hearts, they could not have ever asked for something better than the coronavirus. And you can quote me and you can play it or you can tweet it or you can do whatever you want. I think that this is a leftist wet dream that's happening right now. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I'm not... I just ain't gonna hold back, man. That's what I think. Okay, you can put dash Nate Thurston underneath that.
0: <laughs> A so, leftist wet dream. That's what it is, dude. Sam said, "Pixie, pixie." Yep, it's this is their plan for the one world governments, and this is how <laughs> China actually takes over everything. This is the your faces are your faces already scanned in your face ID, and they're watching your every move and. You know, you're not going to be able to, to go, you're not going to be able to fart without getting permission from them. Make sure you're do. not <laughs> releasing too much methane into the atmosphere. Yeah, it's going to be uh, against the, <laughs> any
1: of the environmental regulations that will yeah. get passed in, in stimulus bill number eight later in the year. Um, so, yeah, it's just, uh, this isn't good. I do think that we are about to see the largest growth of government and uh, government power in government debt and government expenditure that we have uh, ever seen in the history of the country. I think that is what we'll see for the US government. I do think that this is uh, worse than 9-11 as far as the growth of government is concerned in the economy, for sure. Uh, I think that, I don't know that we'll see Great Depression kind of status because we're a little bit more technologically advanced, but um, I do think that we'll see, things as big as the new deal and when the fed popped up uh from woodrow wilson uh, when all these things came into action i think this will be the largest growth of the us government since that time because of this and i think a lot of people are very happy about it
0: one thing that concerns me too you know when you when you think about when you look at history and you're like how did hitler happen you know how did Mao happen how did uh you know stalin um, and and really lenin before that how did these massive tyrannical murderous people come into power and when you look at it they were chosen by the people um i think the weimar republic like germany's such a great example although it was more built off of you know your ethnicity or your race let's say you know the 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 jewish people versus the the uh well what do you call western white european europeans white uh, they're white Germans. yes but they're uh saxon what, what's the name what's the term i'm looking for anglo aryan, aryan? <laughs> anglo anglo-saxon right isn't yeah. that white people basically couldn't tell you so so anyway the differences between them and and so well, well what happened in the weimar republic is you had all these obviously the massive inflation and you had a bunch of middle-class people that became very poor and they were looking for someone to blame. And the Jews ended up being the people to blame because they were the people that were decently stable. They're the ones that had the businesses and they, the the inflation didn't wreak as much havoc on them as it did everyone else. Now the same type of thing I see happening or the scariest thing I see happening there in this time is how, like how many people are actually willing to turn in their neighbors. like, <laughs> The neighbors mm-hmm. who actually do venture out, how many people are willing to to uh, invoke martial law and have soldiers posted? I see it all over the place. I was reading someone's uh, Facebook the other day, like people who I thought were just regular normal people and all over the place. They were like, well, the only way to get these idiots to stay indoors is we need to to invoke martial law and have shoulder soldiers shoot them on sight if they walk out their door. And I'm like... My God, like it's so easy. It's so yeah. easy to get people to turn on their neighbor. It's like you, you know, I love what Jordan Peterson says. Everybody reads these stories. They like, they read about the Holocaust and they try to see it from, you know, the hero's point of view. Like if I were there when Hitler's reign, I would have killed him myself. If I could have, you know, I would have gone in there and just stabbed the guy. Cause he's so awful. And then in the reality is you're part of the problem. You are the problem. Willing to snitches, get stitches, my man (laughs) willing to snitch on your own neighbor. And and it's like these types of things that are um, well, look, the American Revolution was only supported by like 10 percent of the population of the American colonies. Like most people wanted to stay with England. And, uh, you know, so the, the I don't know, the likely the lot of the ordinary individual, let's say the majority of people are just willing to be to just have tyrannical rule. And this is, this is exactly how societies uh, implode on themselves. And, and eventually you get to the point where everyone's turning in everybody and, and now you're spiraling out of control and there's nothing you can do because if you end up starting to tell the truth, well, then off with your head too, you know, like you're, you're, you've gone down too far. And I don't know what to do about that.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do about it either, and it's, um, it's part of a larger, obviously, societal problem, personality problem, uh, people's inability to separate uh, their initial emotional reaction to things with uh, being able to zoom out and kind of extrapolate the, the bigger picture and, uh, and think critically about things versus just thinking emotionally. And um, it's not something we teach. Uh, it's not something most people teach their kids. Uh, It's not, and it's because they weren't taught, and it's because they weren't taught, and uh, this all, if you ever want to actually fix it, it starts at home, then it goes to school, and then it, uh, it's, we're going to have to, we're going to have to start our own libertarian youth army. That's, uh, that's really all it is. (laughs) Not like an actual youth army, but, uh, you know, Um, we're going to have to, going to have to start taking this problem down to the the most local level possible and then the very most local level first is yourself and then it's your family uh and then it's <clears throat> your extended family and then it's your church or it's your community it's your group of friends and it's hoping that you can extend that out i don't i don't know if it is possible to make a rational argument to people who don't think rationally and so th- therefore I think a there is a very small percentage of people who think like this that I think could be brought back to the to the uh, the good side over here, but um, it's it's gonna we're gonna have to start with doing it at home first, and then hope that that spreads out to society. That's now look, I, I had
0: a I had a conference call earlier with the dive team, and they are making progress on my my firearms that i lost in that terrible boating accident in the middle mm-hmm. i was deep sea fishing yeah um you know back when you could travel and i, I for some reason days. i brought my my whole safe because i figured like oh if i i i thought i was like troy from you know that that alligator show and i was like if i catch a <laughs> shark and i hook him up i'll just bring him up to the side of the boat and shoot him in the head that's what i was thinking so i brought <laughs> all my guns now the dive team is making progress so i I thought yesterday I went out and I did, I've got, I don't, I'm still missing my guns. So I'm trying to find those, but I did get 1200 rounds yesterday Mm -hmm. just to add to the, to the pile. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case. You don't have the guns. No, no. If
1: anyone's listening, you don't have those. No.
0: The dive team is making progress though. I do. I want everybody to know that. Gotcha.
1: Picking up what you're putting down right now. After
0: that, I got to clean them and stuff. It could be a while before I'm in, before I'm ready for the, for the Liberty militia to form. Yeah, but (laughs) obviously I thought Sam had a good quote here to end the show. He says uh, emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberty have eroded. That's from Hayek which reminds me of what Thomas Jefferson said about perpetual warfare and how the greatest way to lose Liberty is for your country to be in perpetual warfare, for instance. Um, and in fact, that's what the United States is now calling this. It's a war against a virus. Of course it is because wartime, uh, gives the, the president and people, uh, who are our fearless leaders that gives them more power to do things over your life where the, the general populace is going to be like, not only are they going to be okay with it, they're going to encourage it because there's nothing they'd rather see more than their next door neighbor Susie and her son Jonathan who won't stop banging on the drums at two o'clock in the morning. There's nothing they want to see more than uh, Sergeant Johnson from the the local National Guard snipe them. But you know, yeah. there's nothing they want to see more than that. So it, it it's just, it's absolutely insane to me. These, you know, emergencies, war times, all those different things that give the state more power. And the problem always is they will, they will take that power and they will never give it back. They will never, ever give it back. And that's been proven throughout history so many times. It's now, it's a fact of fiction and there's nothing else <laughs> to say about
1: it. We choose science over facts,
0: <laughs> you know? <laughs>
1: all right, man. <clears throat> well, once again, if anyone is interested in chatting with us live on here on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash good morning liberty. You can get all kinds of cool stuff on here. Um, I believe last month uh, we had Maurice running an advertisement through our Facebook page uh, about the healthcare system. Uh, We had had Drew run an advertisement about the Second Amendment. Through some of these tier levels on here, you can pick your own advertisements to be running through our Facebook page. They're not going to say they're from you. They'll say they're from us, but it's the content that you care about. Okay, so you can go to patreon.com goodmorningliberty if you want to help get some of this message out there and you can join the podcast live and be chatting back and forth like these, are, these guys are right now. And also, if you're interested in looking at the stock market, if you're wondering what the hay is going on right now with this entire market, well, if you want to learn how to read a stock market chart, if you want to learn how to manage risk, uh, Charlie's good at teaching that. I'm bad at it. But if you want to learn how to manage risk, uh, then you can join our class where you can learn how to read a candlestick. You can learn how to look at support and resistance lines. You can look how to how to find trend lines. You know whether or not you're gonna do a trend reversal, which has been one of our most fun and favorite things to do right now. There's all kinds of different things you can use to figure out what's going on in the market. You're gonna look at our strategies that we're actually trading. We're gonna take you from not even knowing how to look at a stock chart yet, teach you how to use the platforms that we use and get you all the way to trading the strategies that we're trading. So if you are interested in that, go to mastermytrades.com and sign up right now.
0: I didn't, yeah, you, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but the stock market was up 7% today. How about That's that? The big old rally up today, 7%. Yeah. It, you know, from that Black Monday we had on Monday, March 23rd, that Dow hit 18.5, we're up about... Uh, almost 20% from there. From that point that? up 20%, the market is had a few tipsy-turvy dives, but <laughs> <laughs> that's not technical at all, by the way.
1: It came yeah. down from its tippy tops a couple weeks ago, and now <laughs> it had a move up and a move down, and now we're doing a, some tipsy-turvy dives.
0: <laughs> you want the actual technical analysis, which you can only get on mastermytrades.com? Go to mastermytrades.com, sign up. For as little as $47 a month, you know, we had that free trial all month last month. And so many of you guys signed up and took advantage of that. I'm just ecstatic. We had a few people do exactly what I said to do, which is sign up and cancel right away. And I'm fine with that. You know, you got, you're going to get your seven days of free information. That's perfect for those of you who are really wanting to change your future. Like some of these guys signed up here. You're going to stay in there for a while and get all the wealth of information. We had a great Q&A, live Q&A last Thursday which I thought was awesome. And so if you guys are in the class, you get access to that live Q and a and all kinds of other stuff. So mastermytrades.com, the free ways that you can support this show is to share it with a friend. You know, you guys know all kinds of people you're social distancing right now. Cause you're forced to, well, it's very easy just to click that share button as you're listening to one of these fantastic episodes. And uh, you know, then we get more people involved in understanding what the hell is actually going on out there, you know, and you get people that understand the difference between, uh, you know, this fear mongering, scary virus versus what actually happens economically. And how do you, I mean, how do you prepare the best way to prepare is to have the information. And so we provide some of the best information out there. So share (laughs) good morning, Liberty with your friends and let them know, Hey, I found these guys and, uh, they're fantastic. And then the other way is to leave us a rating and review. We've had some several good reviews come in lately, all because I'm asking you guys to do it, I think. And so I'm just going to keep asking you, you know, take the 38 seconds and go to iTunes or Spotify, or wherever you can leave a rating review. We've even got some coming in on Facebook. So, wherever you want to go, leave us a rating review, do it. That helps all the algorithms. It helps more people notice us when they search for Liberty. We'll be one of the top ones to pop up because we are probably the fastest growing Liberty podcast out there. So you guys might want to tell somebody, leave that rating and review. If you guys do all of that, we'll be back again tomorrow. As long as I'm feeling all right, I hope you guys have a good and you know, this whole COVID watch thing, by the way, I'm going to give you guys an update on my own household COVID watch. Cause we should be getting them tests back pretty soon, man. And then that'll give Nate an indication on when he can actually show up back to the office over here.
1: Although I don't know that getting sick from whatever you guys actually have is a better option,
0: no, no. To tell you the truth. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know. So yeah. you guys do all of that. We'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you guys have a good day and a good morning liberty.